As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season two. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for flight 89. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Baku, Sevilla, Amsterdam, Glasgow, München, Sankt Petersburg, Bucharest, Budapest, Copenhagen, Roma, London. Unbelievable. Sophie Football Show, day three at Euro 2020 and it's all happening. For once, Sterling holds its value as Calvin proves a fillet for England. Netherlands versus Ukraine proves anything but the Boer draw, thanks to Dumfries late winner. Meanwhile, Angry Arnautovic aids Austria as they earn their first ever Euros victory. Plus, we look ahead to Monday's action. Jocks were hey as Scott's check-in. It's Falcons versus Eagles in St. Petersburg. And Spain welcomes Sweden to Seville. This is the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Well, we are but three days into the tournament and there's a change up top for Team Totally. Big Alan Smith for Gary Lineker Energy as I, Matt Davis-Adams, fill in for Jimbo. Uh, that groan of disappointment was palpable here in Podland, but come back. We still have the usual roll call of top tier guests on hand to offer their insights uh, and they are giddy after a thrilling Sunday of action on board for today's pod. We have the magnificent Daniel Story. Hi, Daniel. Hello, Matt. Uh, also with us, fresh from Wembley, the incomparable Carl Anker. Hi, Carl. Ahoy, hoy, Matt. How you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm glad I get the ahoy, hoy as well. 
Uh, later on, we'll hear from Frida Fagland on Sweden and JJ Ball on Scotland. So plenty of reason to stick around. Uh, the mood around Euro 2020 certainly much more upbeat today than it was 24 hours ago. Sunday saw more positive news regarding the condition of Christian Eriksen. On Sunday morning, the Danish FA tweeted, This morning we've spoken to Christian Eriksen, who sent his greetings to his teammates. His condition is stable and he continues to be hospitalised for further examination. A Denmark team doctor Morten Bosen then confirmed Eriksen had suffered a cardiac arrest against Finland on Saturday. Bosen said of Eriksen, he was gone. We did cardiac resuscitation. We got him back after one defib, so that's quite fast. Get well soon, Christian. Next today, we'll turn our attention to the three games that took place on Sunday. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Now, not sure if you've heard this, listener, but England had never previously won their opening game at a European Championships. Well, they put that right on Sunday, beating Croatia by one to nothing. Raheem Sterling's first ever major tournament goal coming just before the hour mark and a day after he was awarded an MBE. Uh, Carl, you witnessed it live. Uh, before we get to the game, tell us how things worked in terms of getting to the ground, etc. Because 22,500 supporters feels like an enormous amount given recent transpirings. It felt fairly seamless on the Sunday. Uh, the accreditation system on the Saturday and Friday beforehand was a... Uh, was quite a mess. Uh, I had a lovely conversation with Chris Waddle in the queue on Saturday uh, as we spent the better part of an hour and a half trying to wait for our press passes so we can enter the stadiums. Wembley seemed in good spirits. I heard all the classics, so sort of Southgate to the Atomic Kitten song. Uh, I heard uh, Marcus Rashford's on fire to the tune of Will Griggs on fire and Gala. Uh, It was a good Wembley walk and I think it's almost nicer that Wembley walk because it's not the better part of 60, 70,000 people, and it's only 20,000 people. The flow of people was um, was quite nice. And uh, it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable seeing fans back. It was enjoyable hearing three lines as part of the Wembley entertainment. Uh, and also it was enjoyable seeing just the complete nullification of any booze when players took the knee as other England fans decided, no, we're not having that. We're going to do a big round of applause instead. So that, that was what came through on telly and then was it like a smattering of booze that was quickly drowned out or was it were they competing with the booze to, to get rid of them? It, they were completely drowned out. We're talking yeah, Just <laughs> a very definitive the moment there was a sniff of a boo uh, rounds of applause and cheers were happening and almost to the point where you missed kickoff. Such was the noise and distracting nature of it. Uh, it was a really loud opening 25 minutes I think. England came out the blocks hot with a really good press. And basically, any time Croatia strung together three or four passes, they were booed for having the temerity to to not allow the good English boys to play football. Uh, I will also say there were whistles and jeers to the Croatian national anthem, but I think that is more of a the English arrogance that uh, Croatian players now correctly accuse the English fandom of. <laughs> um, Daniel, before the game, you were counselling people not to panic if England started slowly. Given that they won, does that give you cause for apprehension now? <laughs> yeah, we have to we have to have a an enveloped angst about something, so it might as well be that. I, I thought more positive than than the win and even the performance was the fact that, that Southgate's team selection was was almost completely vindicated by the performance of the players. I think the most controversial was probably Trippier at left back and I think probably you'd say the jury was out on that. It didn't go disastrously wrong, which 
some people would have considered a, a, a tick in the box before the game, I suppose. Although, it, but it didn't necessarily. It didn't seem to prove anything. Maybe that a left back wouldn't have done. But everything else was spot on. Calvin Phillips was a bold selection. He was the best player. Raheem Sterling was a bold selection. He was the match winner. And Tyrone Mings was a bold selection and he was faultless at centre-back and well-protected by Declan Rice. So that, for me, was the important thing because what you saw when the, the team selection was announced, the, the replies on Twitter were, you know, I know we shouldn't judge anything and nobody, nobody should judge anything by, by Twitter replies, but I was surprised at just how kind of venomous the the anti-Southgate stuff is and I think he's he's almost paying for the fact that England suddenly have all these attacking options because if you don't pick someone's favourite player then they abuse him so yeah needed that for the kind of the mood moving forward I think we'll, we'll keep on heaping praise on England and Southgate soon but but on the left back thing Carl the, the general consensus seemed to be that the justification was well Trippier can take set pieces he hit a free kick into the wall and England have one corner in the game so was that really justified? I don't think it's to do with set pieces at all. I think this conversation about England and set pieces comes to do with the fact that a lot of us can't remember too many England performances since the World Cup, almost by design, right? This England team will often have 10 to 25 minutes of games where they're not particularly memorable, which is good, right? So England start the first 25 minutes, hot out the blocks. Luka Modric does this thing where he wants to take the sting out of the tail and then Croatia sort of smother things, make things really, really slow and they try and take the, basically bore you to tears and then they'll try and score. And that's how they won in 2018. England now are so much better at being controlled and keeping their shape that you have that moment where you scroll your phone for 10 minutes you don't think anything's going on. And largely that comes from people like Kieran Trippier who is so much better as a football player now compared to where he was in, in 2018. He's just won La Liga on the Diego Simeone. He knows how to defend. And I think the reason he was played on the left is, yeah, you lose a little bit on the attacking overlap and whatnot. But Trippier is great at shooting out the line and making those sort of niggly tactical fouls where possible. There was a great moment on the 25th minute where Luka Modric did break into space and Tyrone Mings was left and right before Tyrone Mings could deal with that. You saw Trippier just shoot out, depossess Modric, didn't get a foul, Played the ball to Mason Mount, was tracking Modric's run as well. And we began again. I think this was, this England team aren't going to be the most thrilling, right? They're not going to have games like Netherlands versus Ukraine because you cannot win a Euros if you play like the Netherlands just did against Ukraine. You have to be able to be solid. You have to be able to be boring. Uh, and I think that's why Trippier played left back because out of all the options right there, I mean, there's also the fact that Trippier is the club mate of the, I'm not going to try and pronounce the Croatian gentleman's name, because I'll probably get that wrong. But I, I think that was good. There were two or three moments where Trippier just basically waited for that bad first touch, snuck in, nicked the ball away, and it worked. The, the other thing you should say, which I, I hadn't thought of, is that Southgate said after the game that he wanted a player next to um, Tyro Mings who had you know a decent amount of international experience, which yep. Luke Shaw and Chilwell don't have yet. And just for the communication, just for the talking, just for the keeping... Tyrone level and and Mings if that if that was part of Southgate's decision then that bit certainly worked because Mings was exceptional Mings didn't do a, a thing wrong and you know he must have been nervous because he came in for some you know he certainly came under pressure after those pre-tournament friendlies and fair play to Southgate for sticking with him and saying look I picked you there because you're my man and uh and yeah so that may have factored into it as well which um 
look, it was just solid. You know, it really was. It was everything the first game of a tournament needs to be. We've got time down the line to bring in the other players. We've got other other, other options. It was, Carl will know more than me, but it was sweltering in Nottingham. I'm assuming it was sweltering in Wembley Stadium as well. And that clearly dictated the pace of the game to an extent. But I like the fact that England sat off for 20 minutes and then went again in the second half. It was that very strange sensation when you're going in at half time and you're having discussions with, with other people and you're saying, This is fine. This is you you don't need to be concerned. Uh a lot a number of the journalists there were theorizing on when England's goal was cut was coming. But I, I don't I don't believe anyone in Wembley Stadium believed England were gonna lose that game of football. Uh, Croatia went in at half time with only one shot on goal. Only one shot on target, shall I say, and they finished the game with two shots on target. A lot of these shots were blocked and and or long range efforts. This was a nullification of a team that has troubled England for some time because you know England lost in 2018 because they couldn't control midfield. England won in 2021 slash Euro 2020 because they absolutely dominated that central midfield area. Brozovic had a terrible time of it. Kovacic was reduced to his... He couldn't do those little dribbles that he likes to do with Chelsea because Calvin Phillips was there. Anytime he tried to get started, he just got nullified. And then eventually, both of those men get yellow cards and Luka Modric, for all of his great tempo control, just couldn't. He was separated from his friends and that was it. Should we be as surprised as people generally were, I think, Daniel, about how well Calvin Phillips did? Because he, he, he's not a vastly experienced international footballer by any means, but he's not a rookie and he has been playing in a top-half Premier League team very well all season. I, th- I think the, the thing that was most pleasing to me is that when people talk about Gareth Southgate, they automatically assume he's a, a defensive manager, not just a cautious one, but a defensive manager. And to pick Rice and Phillips, I think people may have misinterpreted that as, oh, we're playing two holding midfielders. How boring. But actually, he allowed Phillips' licence to roam up the pitch to play that kind of N'Golo Kante role almost, where you're you're choosing when to press and you're choosing when to commit tactical fouls and you're choosing when to sit off and you're choosing when to pass forward and and you're choosing when to drive forward for the goal what what was most impressive and I knew that Phillips could could do all those things but what was most impressive for me and I, I think probably slightly surprising is that he chose the right decision almost all the time um, which is is far easier said than done in your in your first major tournament game but Look, you, you hear the interviews after the game and what, what is remarkable about this group of players is just how relaxed they seem to be, just how confident in their ability to, to rise to an occasion rather than shy from it they are, which is, is really refreshing and will be all the more horrible when they eventually tumble out the tournament I'm inclined to be. <laughs> Um, Raheem Sterling, Carl, England managers in the past have been criticised for, for sticking with players who've served them well in the past. Sterling obviously has had, had a bit of an iffy season, particularly the end of it. But Southgate, again, proved right in his selection by, by going for Sterling ahead of Grealish, Sancho, Rashford, et al. It's not like there weren't other people putting pressure on his place. Yeah, uh, it, was, it paid off. I think this is Southgate now has entered that fun phase where you can just say trust the process I'm not going to I'm going to try not to complain about starting 11s and we're not going to try and complain about what what's going to happen until the game begins and then maybe I can have a little complaint in the 65th minute if he hasn't made a sub but for now I think there is plenty of credit in the bank Sterling's asset and the reason why so many managers like Raheem Sterling is because not only is he a fantastic ball uh, a ball carrier he's a great dribbler he can shoot pretty well he's improved again and again and again, year upon year. But he's just a fantastic facilitator of play, right? The the uh, 
there are runners in this England team, right? There are people who you can give the ball and they can run A to B. And then they, there are players that can do the nice nutmegs and they can do, do the passes. But in terms of setting the table for the other attackers, there perhaps isn't anyone better than Sterling. There isn't, you know, when you think about, again, I'm going to hark back to 2018. The whole thing is why doesn't Kane square it to Sterling? You know Sterling would have squared it to Kane. Sterling understands that if there is a better chance on for someone else, he will put that on for someone else, which sounds really simple. But for a player of his talent, for a player of his now quite hefty um, trophy cabinet, doesn't happen too often. And I think that's why managers like it. He's also, he's a really diligent defender as well. If you tell him track back, he tracks back. If you tell him, I need you to stay wide and stay on the white dot, as Pep Guardiola used to tell him when he came over from Liverpool, he will do that. He's intelligent, he's selfless, and he's a Brent boy as well. So uh, it was it meant a lot for him to score in Wembley Stadium. And I really enjoyed his little reaction uh, in his post-match press conference when someone says you feel as if you've uh, justified your position to start and he sort of rolls his eyes excuse me? <laughs> Off the bench came Jude Bellingham, youngest player ever to appear at the Euros. Not on the bench, Jaden Sancho and Ben Chilwell. Can we assume that they have some injury problems that we don't know about? Because surely you don't put two goalies on the bench and not either of them? Well, you have to have two goalies on the bench. That is in UEFA's rules that you have to have two goals. Don't ask me why you'd have to, because it sounds like nonsense to me. Don't ask me why, if you're allowing managers to have a 26-man squad, you can't just have everyone else that's fit on the bench. I don't see the issue. But um, I am we're led to believe that Sancho and, and Chilwell was, was purely selection, which, um, again, is another one of those things that if England are nil-nil at 70 minutes and they're not able to stretch the game and end up drawing nil-nil, all of those people who get very angry about Southgate and other managers, I guess, team selection, they're quite quiet when, when England then go <laughs> win the game 1-0. But they wouldn't have been if Sancho had not been available and England had drawn 0-0. So a big call. One, I have to say, I, I, I disagreed with. I thought Sancho is a perfect kind of impact player. But yeah, no. I mean, you look at it and you think, we didn't use Sancho, we didn't use Grealish. There's a lot there for this England team. There really is. Uh, and it is exciting. And, you know, I saw some people very briefly, I saw people kind of sort of trying to police other people's happiness that, you know, you only won the first game and it was 1-0. But like, these are the days of our lives in a, in a tournament. These are the days you have to enjoy because it doesn't always feel like this. You don't always get to kind of bask in a victory. So long may it continue. What about Croatia, Carl? Two wins from their last 10. If you check Republic in Scotland watching on the game today, they've got to be pretty heartened by what they saw, haven't they? Yeah, I, I think you can be encouraged. There, there is, there is still that superb central midfield effort. Uh, Brozovic is a fantastic number six, and like I said before, Kovacic is incredibly press resistant when he gets going. Croatia are a team coming to the end of a international cycle, right? This is a group of gentlemen that have been playing together for the better part of four or five years, and, and this will probably be the last hurrah for a number of those players. So. That defeat will dishearten them. This very much looks like a group where you can get through with a third-place finish. There are some groups. I think Group F, I don't see anyone getting a third-place finish there. Uh, I don't see anyone out of the Netherlands group coming in a third-place finish. But I think this one is 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 there for the taking. And I think Scotland may have just looked at Croatia's result and gone, hang on, maybe John McGinn can do something. More on him later. Uh, both those sides back in action on Friday night. England take on Scotland, Croatia play the Czech Republic. A Group C also got underway on Sunday. We'll look at that after this. 
Euros are here. And you'd better make the most of them because they only come around every four, ooh, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpadium. Yeah? If the grass is greener on the other side, come and play on it. If your bookie's not giving you the best rewards, switch and you'll get a completely free £5 bet builder on all England's group games. Paddy Power. Pre-match bet builder bets only min. Two plus legs online exclusive. Must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Hacky. Yeah, got more. Dumfries! Dumfries! Denk terug aan die veel makkelijkere kopbal in de eerste helft. Maar dit is een veel beter scenario. Dit is een geweldig scenario. The final game of Sunday, surely the best game of the tournament so far, as Ukraine fought back from two goals down to seemingly pinch a point, only for Denzel Dumfries to win it late on for the Netherlands as they celebrated their return to tournament football after a seven-year absence. And Carl, you called this game drunk, but it was like... Three pints deep in the night is young drunk rather than teary 3am texting covered in garlic mayo and self-loathing drunk, right? <laughs> uh, I eventually, when it got to 2-2, I called it six pints deep, two tequilas and contemplating the risky text drunk. This was fun. <laughs> this was very 2002. I'm sure Sven Goran Eriksson is somewhere watching that going, good, good. I don't know what Frank the Burr was trying to do, but that was a distinctly undutch performance. That was a very loose and unstructured 3-5-2 uh, for the better part of 60 minutes. There was no central midfield. It was just get it from one third to the other. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But that is the sort of game teams like France, Germany, Portugal, Spain, Italy do their utmost to avoid. You don't want spells like that if you want to win the Euros. All the all the teams that will win Euros don't want that to happen. Anytime you're looking at an England performance going, oh, why is this so boring and static? It's because they don't want vast openness where you can lose a two two goal lead my opinion of frank the ball kind of veered massively daniel throughout the game like woman you think it actually he does know what he's doing and then hang on a minute as carl says there is literally no midfield here and well why aren't you marking any of the ukraine players it was fun for the neutral but but not for for the dutch or the ukrainians i would imagine no i mean i'm a big fan of a manager who sees a team sitting on a 2-0 lead and brings off two center backs just because why not let's spice things up uh, and then proceeded to to concede twice, go three two up, and then bring off another defender for it. And it was just great. I like that. Um, but yes, as Carl said, it was. I mean, it was the best game of the tournament to watch so far by a mile. 
Um, but only because it was this kind of sort of freeform, weird kind of... Te- well, Gary Neville at half-time called it under-nines football, where everyone was just chasing the ball. <laughs> there was no set formation. It was just two swathes of players chasing the ball from one end of the pitch to the other. And he didn't mean that as a compliment because he's a former England defender. I took that as a compliment because I was sat at home watching it. Memphis Depay is still my pick for the golden boot because that group seems full of some poorest teams and I think that opening five minutes where he nutmegged someone and got a, a shot off was quite fun so uh, yeah very very strange Euros have no idea who is going to get further than the quarterfinals at this rate yeah I mean to talk about the quick start of the game the Dutch had seven shots in the first 10 minutes which our friends are <laughs> off to say is the highest ever recorded in a Euros game but it was just absolutely mad it was as if football was rewarding Ali McCoy's um, it's kind of <laughs> rampant enthusiasm and joy at being able to watch it. it was great when I was stuck in the queue for accreditation uh, Mr Waddle I'm okay to say this Mr Waddle did say the Ukrainian football team would surprise us with their quality uh, and would go further in the group and possibly the competition than a lot of people might expect and they they did play really good patches of form you don't you don't pull back a 2-0 deficit in a Euros by being lucky they're good it's just a shame that they don't quite have the attacking uh, talent that the Netherlands have for now. But they'll still go through, Daniel, won't they? Based on what, what we've seen elsewhere in the group, surely they're better than Austria and North Macedonia. Yeah, Austria are in this kind of sort of semi-existential crisis where they, they don't particularly like the manager, but he's not quite doing badly enough for them to have got rid of him before. And I mean, their game was bizarre they, I mean they were a David Alaba team today they just needed to splice him into two or three because he started playing at, at central defence the deepest lying of the three central defenders and ends up basically playing in a roaming midfield role and produces the assist for um, a brilliant second goal but if Ukraine find a balance between that kind of we'll have an attack you have an attack then they can beat Austria yeah but let's get on to that Austria game then. 3-1 they beat North Macedonia by uh, their first ever victory in the European Championships finals. Although the new boys made them work for it. Oh, Carl, which was better? Stefan Leiner's opener here or Yarmolenko's goal in the late game? I want to say Yarmolenko. He's a strange football player in that he has a, a case of the Iron Robins about him in that he has a very noticeable attacking move that manages to fool defenders all the time. So it was quite fun, not only for the fact it was a wonderful strike, but he did it without doing that notable move of his. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to give some flowers to Yarmolenko today. All right, and flowers too for Goran Pandev, surely. Uh, 38 at the end of July, 120th cap, 20 years after his first. Daniel, this sounds ridiculously patronising, but even if they lose their next two games, that's something for North Macedonia to take from this tournament. It was a, it was a pretty special moment. Yeah, it was. And, and, you know, with the greatest of respect to the qualification process, they are in via a kind of backdoor entry. It's, a, it's an entry that everyone knew about and the other countries could have taken advantage of, but North Macedonia absolutely maximised it. And I think we have to assume that they maximised it partly because they were motivated to give Pandev that, that send-off. And, you know, he was assisted by Daniel Backman. Watford's Daniel Backman's pretty dreadful mistake or the kind of confusion between defender and goalkeeper. But, yeah, just that kind of wobbly, compartmentalised knee slide was a beautiful to watch from Pandev. So <laughs> both games, the second and the third game on Sunday, were great because even when it was level, 
both sides were still trying to attack. I was, I, I, I actually thought Austria North Macedonia was probably the second best game in the tournament after the third game because they were both sides just going for it. North Macedonia should be happy with a one-all draw, but they thought, you know, we're here. We didn't think we'd get here. Why not try and win a game and try and get into the knockout? So yeah, it was brilliant to watch. But yes, we do feel a bit patronising because I think they'll lose both their other games. It was the subs that won it for Austria. Michael Gregoric and Marko Arnautovic stepping off the bench. Carl, do you know why Marko Arnautovic was so cross at scoring a goal? It was, I don't know, kept by a tribute act was the only thing I could think of. He was big mad, wasn't he? Blimey. Uh, I was genuinely intrigued as to whether or not it might be for geopolitical uh, history and reasons as to why he might be angry based on his background. Uh, but that, coupled with Alaba maybe geeing him up, definitely slapping in the face, and then his eventual knee complaint, I think this might just be a case of... Uh, well, we know for a fact Arnautovic is a player of supreme mental confidence. He, bear in mind, he had a Champions League winner 2010 on his boots printed, even though he didn't play one single minute in that Inter Milan victory. So he's a man that... <laughs> Very much thinks he's a good football player, and there have been times when he's been a very, very good football player. So perhaps the the idea that he was dropped caused uh, a bit of frustration for him, uh, and hence the display of emotion. But that was a uh, if if you are an Austrian football expert, please let me know. I, I want to know why was he so angry? Because he was big angry. I think Alaba was not geeing him up. I think he was sort of squeezing his face as if to stop him talking anymore. Uh, like trying to get something out of the mouth of a dog when you kind of need to pull its jaws open. It was a very odd... It led to some brilliant photos, but it was a very odd moment. I, I can only think he was trying to rile up opposition fans in the ground because there were there were more North Macedonian fans than there were Austrian fans. But, yeah, uh, save some of your energy for the next game, Marco. <laughs> Always think of that Jose Mourinho quote from their time together at, at Inter. Marco Arnautovic is a fantastic person with the attitude of a child, which is um, pretty textbook. Jose, maybe he was mad at Austria's and that's rubbish Jose nickname. Mourinho saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe he was mad at Austria's rubbish nicknames. Uh, das Team, the team, or Bershin, the boys. As Carl would say, do better. You know, it doesn't take much to come up with a cool nickname. I must say, these Puma kits that. Austria also wearing are, are very dull. The Puma kit template they've taken to the Euros. Austria, Italy, and a couple other nations. Very uninspired. It's very, it's very family holiday knockoff t-shirt, isn't it? Eight yeah. years old, you've got your first official kit, and then you get home and realise it looks nothing like the official <laughs> kit. <laughs> so that was Sunday's action, but the fun doesn't stop there. Next, we'll look ahead to the trio of games that await on Monday, or as you'd call it, listener, today. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of The England Show, brought to you daily throughout Euro 2020. I'll be joined by writers from The Athletic and special guests to bring you unrivaled coverage dedicated to the England team this summer. So for expert insight into Southgate's squad and post-game reaction to all the games, search for The England Show wherever you get your podcasts or via The Athletic app. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Monday's action gets underway at Hampden Park, a momentous occasion for Scotland as they play their first game in a major tournament since the 1998 World Cup, facing off against the Czech Republic in Group D. Joining us now to look ahead to the match from TIFO Football, The Athletic, and the totally excellent, totally Scottish football show, is JJ Ball. Uh, JJ... On the aforementioned Totally Scottish Football Show a while back, you were heard to remark that your realistic hopes for Scotland at this tournament were to get a point. Surely, by now, you've been swept away on this tide of optimism that seemingly enveloped the nation. Anything other than a, than a place in the final is going to be a crushing disappointment, isn't it? Well, perhaps that was all just a cunning ruse, so everyone <laughs> in certain nations uh, underestimates what Scotland are capable of. I kinda, I've changed a little bit of how I think about it. I was convinced for a long time that we wouldn't score... I just have this feeling that there's something in the England game for Scotland to get out of it. Uh, so it doesn't obviously make sense if I think we're not going to score. But having watched the last few friendlies, I don't know. And you look at the squad, it's actually quite a good team. So I think, yeah, maybe we'll win it. Maybe we won't. I, yeah, I, I think we're going to do a lot better than I'd earlier hoped, which is odd to have any sort of real optimism. <laughs> Lots of talk about how the opening game maybe doesn't have the jeopardy that, that it otherwise might have, given that, that third place in the group might be enough to get through. Yeah. Is that the case for Scotland? The thing with Czech Republic is that you know, Scotland have beaten them twice in the last is it year or two. Uh, one of the games, Czech Republic had most of their team wiped out with a, a coronavirus thing. You may have heard of that, that happened. And then uh, in the second game, beat them 1-0 legitimately. So, and having watched... Uh, not all of, but um, the game where Italy absolutely pumped them about 4-0 and how poor they looked there. Not to say Scotland are Italy, because <laughs> they're quite good. I think Scotland have to take... You treat that one as the one. If you can win that game, that's your three points. And then you can maybe maybe get a draw out of England and maybe get a draw out of Croatia as well. They did not look as good as I thought they would today, actually. On the uh, the Scotland kind of guide on, on the Athletic now, it's it's got your video embedded, your excellent TIFO football video sort of explaining Scotland's tactics my my mm. conclusion from that was that it's likely to be 3-5-2 but with caveats would that be right yeah it'll definitely be 
uh, well, five, I'd, I'd call it more five three two to be honest, even though it's... So you got Robertson in the, will be in the left wing back and probably Stephen O'Donnell is the other right back. And then the differences that will occur is whether you play Shea Adams and Lyndon Dykes up front as a central two. And that would normally mean you're going to play more direct very quickly up to two larger players who can take the ball down and, and link from there. And also that makes use of players out wide you can cross into them. But I, I think you might get Ryan Christie or Ryan Fraser will play off as a second striker, off one of Dykes or Adams. It might be useful to have Adams and Dykes for this game purely because when you're defending set pieces against Czech Republic, they've obviously got um, Thomas Socek. And you want to have tall players, as basic as that sounds, to defend against just that. There's other threats that Czech Republic pose, but yeah, I don't know. How, I don't know how they're going to line up tomorrow, and it's quite useful. But it'll be a slight tweak between either a front two or a one, with a, a midfielder like Christie or, or Fraser playing just off him. You mentioned the need for tall players there. D- does that mean that Scott McTominay might play centre half rather than, than centre midfield as another kind of counter to Suchek? Mm, maybe against Czech Republic, but only because you may get more of the ball. I think Croatia is going to have all the ball. England should have most of the ball. Uh, against Czech Republic, you might be able to step out a bit more. So if you've got Tierney and McTominay, this is the thing, you can't have Tierney and McTominay both coming forward and just leaving whoever plays at centre, the centre-centre-back, maybe Grant Hanley. It's just too risky. I don't think we'll see him at right centre-back. You've got other options there, but the main reason if he is there is because of the way he progresses play out from the back. But I think, yeah. Get in the midfield, he's a great player. And you'd have, like, that midfield, Scott McTominay, John McGinn, Callum McGregor, that's a strong midfield three, I would say. Yeah, with the potential for, for Billy Gilmore to come on and, and, and do bits, as somebody far younger than me might say as well, I guess. You mentioned goals yeah, yeah. right at the start of our chat. And and I, I'm looking at the Scotland squad and seeing John McGinn's the only player who's got double figures for <laughs> Scotland. That that feels problematic. But, but then again, you might be able to just draw your way out of the group, mightn't you? So is it more about defence than attack? Um, as ever, it's about a bit of both. Yeah, balance is key. <laughs> Scotland's chances are going to come from the wing backs crossing in, so you get, you get tall lads in the box. And like economically speaking, crossing isn't hugely productive when it comes to scoring goals. Like there'd be some really low number that I don't have to make this a good anecdote. But if you're <laughs> crossing in high, it's very unlikely you're going to score. It, it, I mean, it just is. You might get a stramash in the box and you, you can push up and get second balls and then you'll have players like McGinn or McTominay uh, following up. And that's what you'd hope for. But I think mostly it's going to be absorb, try and counter the space if you can, especially considering England and Croatia when that comes up. Yeah, but Czech Republic, I think that was mostly the case. You're defending for a lot of it and you just want to try and get those combinations right in the midfield to not lose the ball in stupid places. Well, JJ, enjoy the game. Thank you so much for joining us, but thank you even more for bringing the word stramash into the pod for, for what I feel I might did be it. the first I knew time I'd be able to, and show. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, it's that time of year where, where we use the phrase dark horse a lot. Never used in any other walk of life. One of those football words like adjudged, I suppose. Um, I, I kind of think Scotland might do quite well and get out of this group. Am, am, I, am I wrong to think that? There's a lot of pressure on that first game. My, my only doubt with Scotland is that having not had a tournament since 98 and therefore in this kind of era, I just wonder if they would have been better maybe having the Croatia game first uh, as a kind of almost a kind of free hit and then going into Czech Republic and having England last as a kind of do or die, winner takes all, whatever. I just worry that there's an awful lot of pressure on this game. 
Um, they do have someone in Che Adams who is a, a natural goal scorer, which helps because I think that's probably the one thing they lacked. Uh, their midfield is 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 solid um, because Scott McTominay and, and John McGinn are, are seriously good Premier League footballers, uh, and we know they have two brilliant fullbacks, one of which will play in central defence. So there is more talent there than I think they're being given credit for. I agree with you there. I just worry that there is so much pressure on this first game and it is, it's effectively must win for them. I didn't realise until this week that they had Banter's John Carver as uh, assistant coach, which is nice. But Steve Clark is a, is a very impressive man, I think, Carl. He seems to be quite tactically flexible and, and you know he's got plan A through to, to plan Z kind of in his head for every game. And, and that's a big advantage as well. Yeah, I was really impressed by their performance in the, against the Netherlands where they nearly beat them if it wasn't for a late goal from Memphis Depay. Um, they're solid. They're smart. They've got John McGinn, who I think is... A fantastic defensive midfielder and probably could get better if someone basically went, don't run like that, run like this. Like there, There's very easy ways for John McGinn to get better very quickly, which is a little bit more coaching. Um, Andrew Robson's fantastic. And and in Mr. Clark, they have a manager that is the opposite of the ball, that understands this is about space, this is about being solid, this is about being sensible Um uh, yeah, what, what Dan says that you know, I, I can't see the Scotland team trying to send wave after wave on the transition because they understand they'll get done on the counter attack. This is a good Scotland team. Part of me kind of hopes they'll beat England, if only because that'll be really good for whoa, the history whoa, books. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Scotland beating England will be absolutely devastating for England's route through the knockouts <laughs> and also you know the way the brackets not you know sorted out. That's one of those uh, Scotland they've won, but at what cost? So. I would, I'd be like, oh no, this is terrible. Uh, it'd be good if Scotland got through. I'm happy to put a vote in the box for England winning if it if it makes it any easier. <laughs> I'm impressed that Carl, Carl's managed to offend both Scottish and English listeners in one hit. Yeah, this <laughs> is good stuff. Meanwhile, checks uh, as a form of remuneration, very much out of fashion in this digital age. And in Euros terms, not exactly the people's favourites either. Uh, one of those teams that haven't garnered too much coverage. I mean, what are we expecting from them here that, that doesn't involve saying something about Thomas Suchek or, or Vladimir Sufal? Well, I don't think we need to avoid talking about <laughs> those two because I think Suchek in particular is is, is going to be a really important set-piece threat and I think that's probably largely where they'll try and attack through. Uh, Patrick Schick is also more than capable, although kind of a little bit inconsistent, I suppose. But you know, this team beat England in a qualifier for this tournament. Um, and not many teams have beaten England in qualifiers over the last decade or so. So there's clearly some quality there. I, I, I have a, a Czech friend and they, they're they very happy with being the fourth team in this group. You know, it's England and Scotland as home nations. Everyone talk about them. It's Croatia as former World Cup finalists. They feel basically the pressure is completely off them. Um, and if they beat Scotland, they'll, they'll, they'll hope to take a point in the other games against teams who might have already got you know already confirmed qualification also on monday group e gets underway spain versus sweden is the game we're going to look ahead to first it takes place in seville so plenty for for fans of the letter s to look forward to here spain's build up hit by issues with covid for members of their squad sergio busquets in particular diego llorente also tested positive sweden have had problems with that too as we'll hear uh, luis enrique only naming 24 players in his squad, bit of debate as to as to who starts up front. 
There's not much buzz around Spain, it seems to me, Carl, but they're another one of these teams who've got home advantage. You know, they've got players like Azpilicueta, Laporte, Pedri, Ferran, Torres. They've got a decent squad, haven't they? Why, why is nobody really talking them up? Is it, is it just based on what they've done at the last couple of tournaments, i.e. not very much? I think so. I think this is the, the fun thing about how our brains approach international football, where rather than take it as a sequel to the league campaign, you view it as the sequel to the last international tournament. So... We were all going, yep, Spain didn't have a great World Cup, so Spain aren't going to be good at the Euros when you should be going, hang on, Spain have been really good at qualifying and a lot of Spanish players have had a really good season and they've just managed to nick arguably the best French centre-back to bolster their defence. Spain should probably make the quarterfinals here. Uh, I think it's the COVID issue is probably taking them out of the contention to to win this and to be one of the favourites, but I, I I can't see anything other than a deep run from Spain when I've done the the sort of bracket simulation on the UEFA website and a couple other websites I have them getting to Portugal and then eventually losing to Portugal and just a smash mouth one all draw that goes to penalties most of the time but uh, yeah yeah I'm expecting big things from Spain what do you think Daniel another team with a with a coach with decent pedigree as well yeah there is a question about the the striker though I mean Alvaro Morata is I don't know. I watched their friendly against Portugal nil nil. Yeah, he, he, he. I don't know. He, I just can't. He must be one of those players who plays well when I don't watch him because when I do watch him, I cannot believe he's their starting centre forward. And Gerard Moreno has has had a brilliant season at Villarreal, and and to be honest, fully justifies starting given his his finishing and his goal record this season. It's just whether they they do that. And and Pedri, I think, is potentially on the breakout stars of the tournament seems a remarkable thing to say about someone who already plays for Barcelona but you know he is a star in the making so it's just whether they get that balance right because if they don't beat Sweden there always feels like there's one big nation who kind of implodes in a tournament and and as Carl refers to with a Covid situation it, you just wonder whether if they don't start quickly then that might I call a kind of all sort of circle on them. Well, earlier, to give us the Sweden perspective, I spoke to Frida Fagerland from Afton Bladet. Frida, what's the mood in Sweden ahead of the tournament? The, the form has been pretty good in the, in the build-up, hasn't it? Five wins in succession. Yeah, I actually agree. I mean, the issue of COVID-19 has, of course, been been most pressing with both Dejan Kulusevski and Matthias Varnberg ruled out for this game. One of them could potentially leave the squad but I'm not sure either of them would have started a game against Spain anyway. So, yeah, I actually agree that, I mean, I have a good feeling coming into this game and I'm pretty sure the whole Sweden team feels the same. I kind of feel like Sweden would, would think that they are capable of beating Poland and Slovakia. Does that maybe make you think that, that against Spain they'll be a bit more conservative and try and prevent Spain from, from scoring rather than be too attack-minded themselves? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm I'm counting on it. Um, Jan Andersson is very thorough when it comes to like the defense, and it's very important for all his players to to def- defend very well. Uh, even the strikers have to have to defend. Um, so yeah, definitely. I mean, they will be cautious. They know their limits, but I, I guess the difference in this tournament compared to the World Cup in Russia three years ago, which was obviously a huge success for Sweden is that now that there are more better attacking options compared to 2018, uh, interesting players like Alexander Isak, for example, who will probably 
start this game. So yeah, I, I think um, I think they are optimistic in in general. You mentioned Isaac there. Obviously, he he plays in in Spain and, and he scored in Seville actually back in January. Is, is he likely to be the key figure for this Sweden team? Do you think? Uh, I think we all we're all hoping for it. We really want him to to have his big break. Uh, I wasn't so sure that he would start this game though. Uh, I was pretty sure that Marcus Bay. Uh, would definitely start, but Robin Quison is also an option, and he's been very good lately. But it seems like Isak is going to start, so I really, really hope for him to have a good game. Um, I have to say that I haven't really seen him perform that well against better teams. Usually he scores his goals against smaller nations, so hopefully um, he can have a good game. Uh, and hopefully he, he can have a good tournament and potentially get a move away from the Real Sociedad if that's what he wants. Sounds like you've got a reasonable amount of attacking options then. So, so maybe not having Zlatan Ibrahimovic is is not such a such a bad thing, and and maybe the squad might be a little bit more harmonious because of that. Yeah, I mean, of of course, I'm I would have been curious to see how this national team would have been with Zlatan in it, but. It's safe to say that this collective, like this group of players, are very good together. So I'm quite convinced that they will do well. Um, but obviously, Slatan would have been an amazing player to, to use in a tournament like this. But hopefully, we have enough attacking options um, so that we can actually have some success in this tournament like we did three years ago. So finally then, what is what is success for this Sweden team? You, you mentioned they had a great World Cup in 2018, made the last eight. Something similar seems possible? Yeah, it's actually a very difficult question. I, I guess that depends on who we will be up against later on. Uh, obviously, we want to get through the, the group, um, but there's no shame in, in losing to England, for example, as we did three years ago um, or any other team that we know are better than us but yeah maybe quarter final I, I think that would be uh, quite an amazing achievement for them actually if that happens uh, Carl while we're talking Sweden this gives us the chance uh, for you to again share the story of how your dad gave you a prank name it's uh, it's a quacker's tale <laughs> uh, yes so uh, my dad did his master's degree in Copenhagen and, and found it quite hilarious that his surname anchor uh calais anchor k a double l e is what they call donald duck in sweden uh, found some textbooks this teach uh, english to swedish children and saw donald duck calais anchor and, oh that's quite funny sat on it initially wanted to call me emmanuel jr my mom said no then he wanted to call me george my mom said that's my older brother's name i went fine call him carl for all i care and my mum went, yeah, Carl, that's a good name. And my dad just sort of sniggered and went, this will be quite funny. And we'll wait and see uh, as to when my son will find out that he's called Donald Duck in Sweden. I didn't find out until I was 21 years of age in a smoking area talking to a Swedish woman. And she <laughs> burst out laughing. Such a long wait for the payoff to that joke, but so totally worth it for so many thousands I, of us. So congratulations, I holding Carl's a, dad. I was holding a laptop with Donald Duck uh Kalanka in front, like towards me. I said, "Dad, do you know what you've called me in, in Swedish?" And he just sort of looked at me inquisitively, and I turned it around and showed him Donald Duck, and he just went, "I've been waiting for this moment." 
<laughs> Magnificent. Uh, hey, listener, if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, you can download The Radar, a comprehensive PDF scouting the players to watch at Euro 2020, including the aforementioned Alexander Izak, who scored 17 goals in La Liga for Real Sociedad this season. Arsenal believed to have their eyes on him. Former club Dortmund reportedly have a buyback clause. Also on Monday, Poland and Slovakia kick off their campaigns when they meet in St. Petersburg. It's a it's a game that very much fits the billing of, of also on Monday, I think. Um, Paolo Sosa is somebody who we've seen in English football a fair bit, and he always seems to be on the brink of getting sacked in whatever job that, that he's in. And he's only just taken this one, and, and it is going to be key to him to establish a relationship with Lewandowski, isn't it? Because previous Poland managers have, have struggled to do that and, and have fallen by the wayside. Yeah, I'm a big Paolo Sosa fan, purely because he's trying to carve out this incredibly retro managerial career that strikes as like, like one of those managers who ends up managing six different sides at the World Cup. You know, he's He's been at QPR Swansea and Leicester, which is absolutely normal, and then suddenly just goes Videoton, Maccabi Tel Aviv, Basel, Fiorentina, <laughs> Tinjin Kian Kian, Bordeaux and Poland. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, and they're not really sure what to make of him yet, I don't think. But yes, I mean, at the risk of sounding trite, it is hard not to talk about them as a, if not a one-man team, then certainly a one-man success mission if they're going to get beyond the last 16. Because um, I do think that they'll finish ahead of Sweden in this group, but then things will get very tough indeed. And it's... it's I don't know is is the honest answer in how how well they can service Lewandowski because he is a he's an absolute phenom at, at club level but he has also got pretty exceptional service there. Yeah, he's got fifty three goals in forty six games for club and country this season. Some familiar names in in the Slovakia squad: Marek Hamšík, Martin Dubravka, Milan Skriniar, and Tong Twistings, Petar Pekarik. Um, Carl. It could be one of those games that you look at it and think meh, but actually it's one where both teams will think if they win it, they'll have a great chance of going through. So therefore it might be quite open and entertaining actually. Yep. I think this is the, uh, to to UK listeners, this is a game I'm going to class along with Japan versus Ivory Coast from the 2014 World Cup that was broadcast at two o'clock in the morning. A real sort of, if you watch it, tell me what you see. <laughs> Right, there's still a bit more to go in today's show. First, though, let's get some odds from Paddy Power here, represented by the icon, producer Ben. Thank you very much. Hello, listeners. I'm on the line once more with the very excellent Jason Murphy from Paddy Power. Jason, let's look ahead then to Monday's games. Uh, we're going to kick off here, Spain versus Sweden. Um, I fancy the Spanish. What did the overall markets say here? Yeah, I fancy them and so do the markets. Spain are 2-5 to five to win the game in 90 minutes. Sweden are 15-2, to two, but we always caution punters. You don't always have to have a bet on a game. And I'd wait particularly for team news just around the COVID situation. We know Spain have had troubles with it, but we're also aware now that Sweden have. They've already lost Slatan, unfortunately, through injury, but Kuliskevsky missing now with COVID is a massive game changer for this. So you don't necessarily have to have a bet on this game. I do fancy Spain to go well in the tournament, though. And if they top the group, which we expect them to do, and England do likewise, there's going to be a massive quarterfinal in Rome, potentially, if they get that far, Spain against England. And if England are to go all the way, they're going to have to beat the Spanish, I think, in that game. All right, Jason, bet builder time. Now, this is uh, where basically you put an acker on an individual game. Paddy Power, very big on this during the Euros. Uh, I've given my choices for England versus Croatia and Wales versus Switzerland. I haven't yet uh, had reason to retire. So please, you're the expert. Give our listeners something to get in on for Scotland versus Czech Republic. 
Yeah, so the first thing we want to do is we want to see a few goals. We're going to sit down and play a game for a bit of entertainment. Uh, two or more goals, it's four to nine to occur in this match. Scotland against Czech Republic, they've met a couple of times in qualifying and they've seen goals in those games. So it's definitely would be likely that we might see similar here. What I'm going to put with that is Che Adams to score anytime. His price is 11 to four. If you actually look at his performances for Southampton, I know he struggled a bit after that big money move from Birmingham, but he scored nine goals last season. He actually delivered on his XG. It was 8.8. And actually for his XG, expected goals per 90 that are non-penalty goals. He outperformed Danny Ings last season. So he really does get chances and he has taken them, particularly for Scotland. When you start international football, you know, you, it takes a while to get going, but the fact he's got two goals already uh, in four appearances, it's a great start. So I think Jay Adams to start and score anytime. And to wrap it all up, I'm actually going to put the draw at the end of it at 15-8. to 8. Reason being, if we have a couple of goals in the game, it's probably going to be tight and cagey. With 20 minutes to go, neither team is going to want to lose the game. So the draw becomes more of a clear then. Put these three together and it adds up to 12 to 1 if you're having a look on Paddy Power's bet builder. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Place a four plus fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. £10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On this day in Euros history, the 14th of June, Euro 92, France and England met in a 0-0 draw in Malmo, best remembered for Basil Bolly's brutal headbutt on Stuart Pearce that went unpunished. Daniel, you knew that we'd get Stuart Pearce mentioned in this podcast somehow. Um, just how much pride did little Daniel take when uh, our boy dusted himself down and, and nearly snapped the crossbar with a free kick moments afterwards with the, with the blood still cascading down his cheek? This little boy was so young, he doesn't really remember Euro 92, I have to say. Weirdly, I can remember bits of the Italian 90 semi-final and not Euro 92, so there's <laughs> something obviously wrong in my childhood. Um, yeah, I had to wait until 1996 for my bursting with pride Stuart Pierce at the Euros moment, I'm afraid. I've just watched this clip now. It's a proper headbutt, don't worry about that. Mm. It's <laughs> a proper headbutt, good grief. <laughs> Can you imagine if it happened nowadays? I mean, Stuart Pearce is obviously keen to just shrug it off. He didn't even undo the button on the top of his shirt. He just picked the ball up and, and hit a free kick against the crossbar. But yeah. That is brief. Pearce though, isn't it? it? It's very much sort of, if you headbutt me, you only make me stronger. Mm. You've just angered him. Very much <laughs> a la 91 FA Cup final, quite frankly, when you know, you've just you've just sighed down my mate and not been sent off so I'm going to thwack a free kick into the top corner of your net and by the time you've thought about diving you might as well start picking the ball out of the net yeah no selling for Basil Bolly like he was John Cena with a Nexus in 2010 hey Carl um, that that game was also the last time that England fielded a starting 11 at a major tournament without a single Liverpool or Manchester United player in it until Sunday's game against Croatia uh, both Le Bleu and Graham Taylor's England exited the group stage. Sweden and eventual winners Denmark progressed to the knockouts. Taylor's words on the eve of the tournament, and I don't do a very good Graham Taylor, I've got to say. Let me do the worrying. That's what I'm paid for. Just sit back and enjoy it. Um, unfortunately, Graham was also paid for picking the team and implementing a tactical system which, which would enable them to beat their opponents. It turned out he was better at worrying. Um Predictions for Monday's game, Carl. Tell me something wild that's going to happen in, in one or all of the matches. I think we are going to see... Every now and again, you get a game where it's the great, oh, that person, that's going to be the future of football for a little bit. And I think Spain versus Sweden is going to be Alexander Isaac's big one. I think that's the one where everyone goes, oh, he's a 
fine young gentleman. Let's get him for a Champions League club. I'm sure he'll be quoted 60 million in connection with Tottenham Hotspur when this <laughs> Harry Kane saga goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Sweden are going to get a result here. Uh, and I also think Slovakia is going to get a result over Poland. Daniel, are you doing the big uh, all the way through the night with the Copper America as well? Can you do two tournaments concurrently? Not really. Uh, I am currently watching Brazil Venezuela, but that will be where it ends. Um, yeah, I'm happy to make predictions tonight because I made them last night and that was for Ukraine to get a draw against Netherlands, forgetting that I was on two shows in a row and therefore would have to <laughs> wallow in my own incorrect predictions. So I am going to predict that <laughs> Che Adams will score the winner for Scotland. I mean, it's just meaningless because it almost certainly won't happen. But no. <laughs> I watched Shea Adams during the very strange 1920 season he had for Southampton, uh, and he absolutely thwacks it on his right foot. He's got two or three shooting techniques, but he's very much a striker who believes in the uh, Charlton method of when in doubt, just hit the ball really, 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 really hard. Uh, so sometimes they work out and he scores absolute bangers but there are other times where you're going um stop trying to shoot it through the goalkeeper so if Shea Adams does score it's gonna be a beauty all right some big predictions there uh my wild prediction will be that Peter Walton uh, will add something of value to a television broadcast uh, that'll just about do it for us today kudos to Carl to Daniel to Frida to JJ and producer Charlie for their efforts I'll be back on Tuesday morning where we'll round up those Monday games and look forward to the rest of the action as Group F gets underway until then many thanks for joining us today for now though from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network Head to theathletic.com slash totally to find out all the latest subscription offers. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.